All right. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you could join us on this beautiful, wonderful Sunday morning. Um, been such a wonderful, beautiful week, and um, just uh, glad to have you all here. We are continuing uh, through the book of Philippians uh, this this week, and so if you like to turn uh, in your Bibles uh, to uh, Philippians chapter two, we are in chapter two already. Seems like it's been going quick. Um, we are going to cover. Uh, verses 12 through 18. Now I will say this up front as you're, as you're turning there. This is, uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say that one passage of the Bible is more important than another, but this is a very thick passage, and there's going to be some stuff left on the cutting room floor, so I encourage you and challenge you to do some more studying this week and, and reading of it and just pulling all the great fruit that is in this passage, but uh, we'll do what we can today. So uh, let's, uh, let, let, let's, let's dig in. Philippians two, twelve through 18, the Word of God says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father God, what wonderful words you spoke through Paul. In this, in this letter, may we look at them and take them to heart and take them seriously as, as I believe the church in Philippi did when they first heard them almost 2,000 years ago. Lord, may they do a work in us, in our hearts. May they, may they show us the truths and the beauty of, uh, of your gospel, but also your, your plan for um, work and, and obedience in salvation, Father. Um, Lord, how we may be a light through our, our love and our care and our servant-heartedness towards others. Father, please speak through me uh, this, this morning. Help, help, help me here. Help us. Help um, with, with your spirit moving us to, today. Lord, we, we pray things in your name. Amen. So, uh, I've done ministry for, I don't know, 15 years now, over 12, over 12 for sure years now. And I've had this, this, this joke that I've always made, which is a really horrible joke. Um, but, I, but I say it a lot when I'm talking about, what, when people ask what I think about doing ministry or how I've enjoyed ministry and whatever. And I always say, uh, man, ministry is really great, except for all these people. Right, like this, this concept, man, ministry's fun, you get to study God's word, and you get to go do some fun things, and, and maybe even travel and stuff like that, but then you got to work with people, and people are just so hard to work with, and, and uh, people um, are so challenging, right, and I think, I, think a, I think a parent could say a similar thing, right, like, uh, man, parenting would be so great if it wasn't for these kids, right, like, uh, man, it's wonderful, it's fun, you get to do these fun things, and these beautiful moments happen, but then there's still these little naughty kids that you got to deal with and do things with, and it's really challenging and hard. And I think we could say that about our jobs. I think we could say that about um, our other relationships. And I think, I think we have a tendency of saying and thinking that same thing about our church and ourselves. 
man, church would be great if it wasn't for all these people, which as we know is just like those other things, very silly and even wrong and perhaps most likely sinful. And it may seem like that doesn't have a lot to do with this passage, but as we're digging into this passage today, something that's extremely important is that we understand the context that it is being written in. And by context, I mean the, pa- the other passages around it, right? It starts with the word therefore, which means everything before it is what's building up to this moment. And in fact, what's before it is another therefore in verse 9. And so what I want to do just really quickly is to show this context. The reason I, I, I say what I just said about the difficulty of people is because Paul is speaking in this context from chapter 2, if you look up very quickly, to um, verse 2, it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Right, So that's the command that he's speaking into. He's speaking into this context of, as a body of believers, we need to show great humility. We need to show great love. We need to, in fact, put others' needs above our own. We need to look at other people's interests above our own interests. Right, That's what he's saying. And if you hear that and you think that does not sound very fun and it sounds very hard... Paul understands that that's what you're thinking because he gives us an example. He gives us an example of someone who did choose to be humble, who did choose to serve, who did ser- choose to put others first, and how that actually, though it may not look like it, turned out very well for that person. And so that person, of course, is Jesus. And he gives this example of Jesus. And we talked about this last week, this, the wonderful uh, humility of, of Jesus, though he, was, though he was God and in the form of God, um, came and, and, and gave himself up as a servant, right? Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself, um, becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross, right? So he was saying that this, this humility that I'm asking you to have, this servant hardness I'm asking you to have, you are doing that knowing that Christ did even more than you're being asked to do. And much, the, the, the perfect holy God came down into this earth and he lived this humble life in this humble way, serving even to the point of death. And therefore, as it says in, in verse 9, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So in result of Jesus' humility in serving others, Christ was exalted and all confess the glory of God. Right? So in this hard work, in this, in this sacrificial, to the death service of others, the most wonderful thing came from it. The glorifying of God and the openness of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, came from that. And so it is into this that Paul is speaking and even firming more and making stronger, making this point, this truth, even stronger in the passage that we just read that we're going to cover that we're going to cover today. 
And so there's a lot happening in this passage, a lot going on, but we can kind of uh, bring it down to kind of one, I would say one general, one main command that we need to look at. We need to look at it in the context here. Um, and I would say that that one command is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And, and it's connected to that word in, at the beginning, obeyed, right? Because he's talking about, like, I, I'm not here anymore. I'm not with you anymore. But when I was with you, you obeyed. You obeyed. You worked out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm saying, even as I'm gone, I want you to keep doing that. So it's connected to that word obey. But, but the main general term here is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is a, 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 something that's been talked about for, for centuries and, and, and something that at, at first look looks really confusing and hard. Um, so we're, we're going to dig into it. Now, see, as, as Nebraskans... As Nebraskans, we love the word work, right? We love it. We're workers. We're people who work. We work hard, right? As Protestants, we hate the word work, right? As Protestants, we're like, especially when it's next to the word salvation, because we're like, no, work and salvation, they don't go together, right? Salvation is uh, by grace, by faith, right? Through faith, that's, that's, that's where salvation comes from. Work and salvation, well, I don't, I don't like it when they come together. Well, that's exactly what this, what this passage does, right? It says, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, one thing I do think is valuable to think about is there's lots of yous and yours um, in this, but remember, he's actually not talking to an individual person. He's talking to a group of people. He's talking to a church, so I think that's something to think about and consider. Um, but it's still, you still kind of come to the same conclusion. So what we're going to do to help us understand what Paul is getting at, we're going to have, I've got like a three-piece puzzle we're going to try to put together, okay? Three-piece puzzle, it's got th- uh, three different passages all together. One is, they're all from Paul, I think it's helpful to stay within Paul so we understand this isn't, Paul said one thing and someone else said another thing, it's all from Paul's thought. One is from Ephesians and the other two are actually from Philippians, so I think that'll be really, really helpful. So the first passage that we're going to look at is Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? To understand this concept of the relationship between work and salvation. And, and, and maybe we need to think about what he means by work out and what he means by, by salvation. So let's, let's use these passages to help us do that. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. Now this passage helps us. It says extremely clearly that what gives us salvation and what gives us justification, what makes us right with God, what makes us right with God is the grace that he's given us through faith. Right? It's clear. It's right there. Um, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Right there in verse 8. Right? So we can stand on that. And Christians, we're meant to stand on that. And as he gets to the end, he paints a picture of them. Well, what, and, 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 and so clearly not saved, not justified by our works, not justified, not made right with God by the things that we do. And we were saved. We were, we were created in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And I think this idea of walking, of walking a path, is a really good way to think about it. 
and a really helpful way to think about it, right? We are saved by faith. We are saved by the grace of God. And that, that, that saving, that path that we are put on in that salvation is a path that we, that we walk. And that walking is, is walking in work. It's a, it's, a, it's a path that we strive on. It's a path that we, that we, that we work on, that we grind on, that we, that we, that we, that we work on. Okay. So I think that's, that's the first piece of the puzzle is that you are saved by grace, by faith, right? If you, if you are, if you, um, realize and understand, see that you are a sinner who needs Christ and you trust and, and seek after God and say, Father, I have, I have sinned against you, but I know Christ has paid the payment for my sin. Lord, Lord, forgive me and save me. You are saved in that faith, in that grace, in that moment, at that time, right? And you are saved to strive. You are saved to work, to walk a path of work, to walk a path of striving. So that's, that's piece number one. Okay, piece number two we're going to go to Philippians 3. Philippians 3, and this is a longer session, uh, section, and, and thankfully later we're going to really um, look into this. And it's going to be awesome once we get there. Great, great passage. But I want you to think about the concept of past and present and the concept of striving and faith as, as, and, 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 and the work of Christ as we, read, as we read this. I think this is really helpful. This is kind of Paul in his own life, what this looks like. Right? And again, Something to think about is one, Paul is saying these things about himself, and Paul was clearly saved, was clearly justified, right? But also, he's speaking to the Philippians, and in the beginning of Philippians, he says to the saints, right? The saints being those who are saved, those who are in Christ, right? So keep that in mind. But let's, let's, let's read this and think about these concepts. Starting in, in verse 8 of chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That I may, you know, I suffered, suffered the loss in order that I may gain Christ. Whoa, wait, gain Christ? I thought you were Christian that you already had Christ. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteous, but immediately, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, from works, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he is striving to gain Christ, and he already has Christ through faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's one of our key words here, resurrection, right? Maybe he's talking about something a little bit different than justification when he says salvation. Maybe he's talking about the finishing of that salvation. Right? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, any means possible, striving, I may attain the resurrection, the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained, attained this or am already perfect. Right? He's claiming I, I, I'm, I'm not, it's not finished, it's not complete in one sense. I've not already obtained it in a sense, right? But... I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So can we see it? Right? I'm pressing on and it's already happened. Right? I'm pressing on, I'm looking forward and it's already happened. I'm already in Christ. Christ has already made me his and I'm pressing on, I'm working, I'm striving. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is standing firmly in the fact that he is in Christ, and through that faith in Christ, he is his, and he is standing that, and he is walking that path of work. He is straining, right? That's what Christians do. We strain and we work towards that resurrection that is coming. That's piece number two. Now, piece number three, I think, helps us understand this is, this is not something that we're meant to be insecure about. This is not something that we're supposed to be like, well, if I don't work a certain way, do I fall off the path? Right? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that's what I do as a believer. That's where I'm going, and I'm working, and I'm striving towards that day when Christ comes. I'm striving, I'm striving towards that. And so the third piece of the puzzle is again in Philippians, and he started with this. He started the book with this, and it's Philippians 1.6. So Philippians 1.6 says this, it says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I am sure of this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And this isn't like a, a, a false sureness, like this is, well, I'm sure this is going to happen. He's saying, no, I am sure, I can tell you for a fact that this is going to happen that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, in this Christian life, in our salvation, there is this concept of an, of an already, not yet, right? You are, if you are trusting Christ, you are already saved. You are already his. You have his righteousness. But we're still here. We're still here. We're still in this crooked and twisted world. We're still living this crooked and twisted life. We're still fighting sin, Right? We're still around people who need to know Jesus and need to be loved. We're not at the resurrection yet. Jesus hasn't come back yet. And that's what we're working out. That's what we're working through. We are working through this life that we're still in. We are already saved. You, if you are trusting Christ, you are already his. And it's not, it's not, it's not yet over. This is, this is the, the, the path that we are called to walk. And he even shows here that um, if, you, if you see this walk correctly, if you see this working and this striving correctly, uh, your, your mindset, your focus, maybe you might even say your, your feelings is that of fear, should be that of fear and trembling. And we may ask why, what does he mean by fear and trembling? And I think there's a couple different reasons. Um, I think one is just in the, that context of humility. I think there's, I think there's, should be fear and trembling and realizing that it is because we are saved by faith and because it is only by God's grace alone that we are saved. Because we are unable to save ourselves, we should tremble in that. There should be a level of, 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 of fear in that. Not because we're worried that we're not going to end up being saved, or gonna, but because we realize in our humility, our great need for God, our great need for Him. But also, I think we should have a fear and trembling for other people. Not of other people, but for the sake of other people. A fear and a trembling realizing that other people are just in need as I am. A fear and a trembling when we look around at each other, we see there is a need here. There is a need. I need to serve these people because they need Jesus. And living in a mindset of fear and trembling for that sake. 
And I think there's a third, a third sense, and this goes into, into uh, something very important, very helpful that Paul says next. I think we need to fear and tremble, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. Thankfully, Paul tells us this to encourage us, to encourage us but also to point to fear and tremble. Knowing this, this, this path that we're walking on, this path of fear, uh, sorry, this path of, of work, of striving, of, of, of pain, of challenge, this path that we're walking on, the power to take those steps is not your own power. The work of taking those own steps is not your own work. It is God's work. And in fact, not only is it not your own work, the willpower, right? We think of something like that. We're like, oh man, the willpower the, to, to get through that, right? No, in fact, even the will, even, even the willpower to, to push through comes from God. Right? And so this is something meant to be very encouraging to us, that this call to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. God is doing it for you. God is doing it for you. And, and that one also is where that fear and trembling comes from, knowing that, man, I'm, I'm humbly not doing this in my own power. I'm doing this in God's power. God, God is doing it. He's doing it through me. And that is meant to be an encouragement for us, an encouragement that this Christian life, this Christian walk is one that we strive through, like Paul talks about, one that, that, that we press on through, that is challenging. And Jesus is for sure at the end of it. And God is pushing us through it, right? We are relying on on his power to get us through and to accomplish it. And so that's our main command. That's our main command to live this life, to work out our salvation. And again, remembering, remembering that this is a plural. This is our salvation. This is something that we're in together. So it's not just me walking this path. I am actually walking this path with you. And you're walking it with me. And that, again, is another way, another of God's means for helping us, right? To will and to work. And also notice that this walking that we do together and the work that God does in it for us is in his good pleasure, is for his good pleasure. It pleases him. It pleases him, the striving and, 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 and the work and the, and the pain and the hurt and the dealing with people and the serving others. And the work that God puts into that is pleasing to God. It's pleasing to him. And as, as we keep going in this passage, we'll see it, it should also be pleasing to us too. And we'll, we'll get there. And so he then brings in this, this kind of special, specific command that more easily, more, not easily, more recognizably connects with this concept of humility and serving others. And that command is to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Do not grumble and do not dispute. So he tells us in the beginning of the chapter to not, or to, what to do, to be humble, to serve others, to love others. He gives some things what not to do, right? Don't do things out of selfish ambition and conceit, right? But do things in humility. And so here he gives us two examples of the biggest things that make it hard to serve and love others. And that is grumbling and disputing. Grumbling and arguing. Now, it's hard for me to read the word grumbling and not think about the Old Testament, not think about the book of Exodus, where many times in the book of Numbers, where many times the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness and they do a great, horrible, awful sin. And it's not murder, it's not lying, it's not adultery, it's grumbling. 
And it's that grumbling that destroys them from the inside out. And it's that grumbling that makes them turn against God and against each other. And that, that, that same sin, powerful, powerful sin that seems so small to us, that comes out as anger and gossip and bad attitudes, is very much destructive. And still on this day, very much destructive. And, and, and the thing that comes with that of, of disputing or arguing or quarreling is another word you could use, crushes things from the inside out. And so I, I believe what he's really pointing out here is this walk of striving that would go on two of the biggest distractions to it, to doing that work, to doing that striving, to l- serving and loving others, is our very own grumbling and our very own quarreling. Right? I think of distraction. Right? I've got some, some college students in here. Right? Um, and while you're working on your homework, so I, 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 uh, I used to do this thing when I was in college. So I was an English major, and that takes, no offense if you're an English major, but it takes no work. It's very easy. It's very easy. Read a book, tell them what you think about it, and it'll all be fine. Um, English majors are looking at me like, no, it's hard. Well, maybe for people who do it, who do it right. But um, for me, it was not. The people that had it really hard with the biology, the biology degree people, right? Because they have a lot of work all about to be like, yeah, 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 it's hard. Whatever, it's fine. Um, but the, the, the biology people, the science people, right? So I used to go into the library and find those people. Because I had a lot of friends who were in the biology department, they were pre-med and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to hang out. I was there to hang out. And so I'd go in there. I'd be like, hey, let's go hang out. Like, oh, I got a test tomorrow. I can't. I got to study. I'm like, you're the smartest person I know. You'll be fine. Come hang out with me. And some of them would hang out with me, and some of them won't. Now, the sad thing is, in this story, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> I'm the distraction. I'm the grumbling and the quarreling, right? Grumbling and quarreling is the boat Newman that walks into the library and tries to distract you from your schoolwork. Right? Grumbling and quarreling is the thing that tries to take you and look off your trail and make things self-centered back to yourself. Right? And so that's something that we need to shut down. And when we begin to have these, this, this grumbling and this, and, this, and this quarrelsomeness, and something you may notice is like, we think a lot of quarrelsomeness like quarreling with each other, which is horrible and bad, and we do it. But it starts in, our, in ourselves, right? We, we have these arguments um, while, we, while we're working on something or while we're getting ready for the day or whatever in our head, and, and usually we're winning them. And uh, these, these, these quarrels, and it starts there. But man, even there, we need to, we need to fight against that. We need to push back against that immediately, um, against that, that, that quarreling and that disputing that goes on in our head because that's where it comes out, Right? Okay, so that, that's that main command. That's what, that's what he calls. Now, what I like about it is he says, don't do this. And then he doesn't say, and then he doesn't say, because if you do this, these are the bad things that's going to happen to you, or these are the horrible things that that's going to lead from. What he says is, if you, if you decide not to be distracted by grumbling, if you decide to not be distracted by quarreling, here's the awesome things that are going to happen, right? And he gives, he gives two things. Uh, two, two big things that will happen if you uh, decide to strive, to work, to love others, to humbly love others, and to in that not quarrel and not dispute. And the, the, he gives two things. And the first thing, the first thing is you will be lights. You will be lights. And he says so much more than just lights, but let's, let's, so let's, let's look in here. You will be blameless and innocent 
children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Right? So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Before we get lights in the world, look at that first part. Right? Blameless and innocent children of God. So he's saying a child of God. What does a child of God look like? What is the mark of a child of God? They don't grumble or dispute. They serve and they love others. They care about others. They serve and they love them. They are blameless and innocent in that sense, right? Like, again, we know we're sinners and we know that we fail, but we're blameless and innocent in the sense that we, we, people can't hold that against us because we are putting others first. We are putting others' interests above ourselves and before ourselves. We're not grumbling and disputing. Like that, that is the mark of who we are. I, I think of when I was a kid, um, my, my dad his whole life, uh, as I remember him, um, worked outside and worked with his hands. And, and so you know, as, when, you're, when you're a kid, you, you play with your dad, you wrestle your dad, and you hold his hands. And my dad's hands, one, were always very leathery, right? Very leathery and hard and calloused and, and, and all those things. But they always had marks on them. Right? They always had little, little, either, you know, a black fingernail because he, he smashed it in a pen or, or with a hammer or whatever it may be, or marks or cuts from barbed wire or, or whatever it may be, right? And uh, it's easy to say, well, those, those marks were just from him, from him working or from him um, doing his job and whatever. But to me, those were always marks of the sacrifices that he was making for me. You know, those are the marks of the work that he was doing to take care of me and to love his family and to give to us and, and, and give all of his time and even, even his health to, to take care of us. And, and that is the same, the marks of a child of God, is choosing not to gossip, choosing not to grumble, choosing not to complain, choosing not to quarrel, choosing not to fight, right? And, and you're going to get marks from that, you know? Like, you're going to get noticeable scars from that and... That's going to be marks of, 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 of being a child of God. And in this warped and crooked generation, in this twisted generation, it's going to make you a light. Because the world doesn't do that. The world grumbles and complains. That's what we do, right? What do we call that? The, the outrage era, right? Is that the, the phrase that we've used, you know, to, for the last 10 years or whatever, right? But Christians don't do that. We don't, we don't grumble. We don't complain. And in that, in that, we are a light we are a light to the world, right? And it's, and, it's, and it's even more than that, right? It's even more than the fact that we don't grumble and complain. We know, we know good people of this world who are capable of not always grumbling and complaining. There's another part to it. In verse 15, he says, holding fast to the word of life. We hold fast to the word of life. That is the word of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus, right? So it's more than this, this goodness of, of, of not, oh, I'm not a gospel. I'm not a person who backbites or, or fights or quarrels. It's we do it because Christ humbly died on the cross for us. He, that, that, that working, right, that God does through us because God does the work, this path that we walk on, God does the work. That power, that ability to do that was bought on the cross. It was purchased there by the most humble serving person who's ever lived. And for that reason, we hold on to his word of life. 
because he bought us life on that cross, and we hold on to that, and that's why we choose to do what we do. That's why we work this way, because we saw that word of life work in us, right? That power that died to forgive that gossiping, to forgive that quarreling, to forgive that disputing is what is what saves us and is what we show to others, right? That, that, that's what the light is. The light is showing that gospel, showing that love, showing that even though you are part of this crooked and old generation, this light even is open to you. This light is open to you to be saved, to, to humbly come to God because he humbly came to you and saved you. So that's the first, the first thing that this will lead to. Right, that that, uh, that 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 comes on along this path is, is is as as a Christian, as a believer, striving. You will be a light. The second is that it leads to rejoicing. It leads it leads to rejoicing, and it leads to you'll see here two different kinds of rejoicing. One, one uh, maybe from two different places, I should say. And one place that the rejoicing will come from is that something to think about is you are not the first person to walk this path. Many people have walked this path before you. Many people have walked this path of faith, have striven, have, have strived, and, and, and because they walked that path, because they strived, you're on it too. You're also on that path because they walked it. And when they see that you are walking, when they see that you are on that path, they can rejoice knowing that their work was not in vain. That what they did was not in vain. Right? That, that, that's, what, that's what Paul talks about here. He says, So that in the day of Christ, right, when this time comes, when the, when, the, when the not yet does happen, and it is yet, when it does happen, the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Right, he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And now we don't, to be honest, we don't know exactly what he means by poured out as a drink offering. It could be to his death, that's what I would kind of lean on, but for sure it at least means just the sacrificing of, uh, if it's not a sacrifice of his death, it's at least the sacrificing of his life, right? At least the giving of his life. And, and Paul is able to say, look, I, I, will, I will know on that day, I will see you and I will rejoice. And I will even rejoice now knowing that I didn't labor in vain. That I did not labor in vain, that God's faithfulness, I see it. I see God's faithfulness. I see God's work in you striving and you working. In that, in that faith, I see you. I see it happening. Even in your own sacrificing. And then the second rejoicing that happens is not this future rejoicing of, of fellow believers who brought you along the way, whose shoulders we stand on, but also your very own rejoicing. It says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I started this conversation with a thought of the how hard it is to love other people. But Paul is saying that this, this working out your salvation that comes that is powered by God, that's powered by the work of Christ on the cross, is something you should be very, very glad in. And you should rejoice in. And that we should rejoice with Paul and with other believers in it. And the reason that we should be glad, that we should, well, I guess for some, I'll point out real quick, what's the opposite of grumbling and disputing? Gladness and rejoicing. 
right? So he's not just saying, don't do these things. He's saying, Re- replace. Replace it with gladness and rejoicing. What is, what is the gladness? That every striving you take is one more step closer to the return of Jesus. Every challenging relationship, every hard conversation, every breakdown, every backbiting, every opportunity to show God's love in this twisted and dark generation is an opportunity and a chance to walk this wonderful path that God has put before us to walk and get that much closer to Jesus, right? Again, knowing that we're saved in him, that he, that he is ours and we are his, and he's just getting closer. He's just getting closer through this striving, through this working. He is just getting closer and closer to us. And so I, something I think about when I think about what does this look like, what does that rejoicing and that gladness look like, I think of... Um, so I've been, I've been doing some more working out with some of the younger guys here um, in, in, in this church, and uh, it's been really good and really enjoying it. And I used to do competitive powerlifting, right? And I was, I was that guy. Like, I was the guy that would, like, go get the chalk, right, and put the chalk on. I'm clapping the chalk, and I don't worry, I was even skinnier than I am now, so was, I looked ridiculous. I get it. But... Um, clapping and, and yelling and ah, you know stuff and when my friends when my friends are lifting I'm yo get it you know lightweight lightweight you know all that kind of stuff and um so so when I go work out with these guys it kind of comes out a little bit you know they're like doing bench and I'm like yeah lightweight come on you can do it and they kind of give me a look and I'm trying not to like freak them out but I'm also just like yeah come on you can do it lightweight it's nothing you know they're ah, and I'm like come on lightweight you can do it right I think it looks a lot like that I think the rejoicing and the gladness is us walking around the path and being like, yeah, you can do it. Push through. We can do it. We can do it. Push through. Lightweight. Easy weight. And of course, it is lightweight because God's doing the lifting. So we can say that and mean it honestly. Now, it's hard. It's striving. That's why Paul says it. It's striving. It is hard. It is hard work. And God's doing it. He's promised he's doing it. The work he started, he's going to finish and so all that being said, of all the many times I've made that horrible joke, I recanted. The best part of ministry is the people. The best part of being a parent is getting the chance to pour into these children. The best part of this church is walking through challenges with you, walking through hard times with you, Together, even when we don't disagree, but we're pushing through that. And through that disagreement, we, we find that hope and that, and that, and that love that we, we, we are walking together towards Christ. And so let's be that. Let's be that in, in this town, right? In, the, in, this, in this town, in this crooked and twisted town, let's be that. In this country, in this crooked and twisted country, let's be that. In this crooked and twisted world, let's be that. In this, in this church and in our families and, and together, let us, let us be Children of God, lights of the world. For Christ has done this work for us. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the grace and the mercy that you've shown us. Lord, I pray that that is not something that we take lightly, that we here realize that in our sin we have a deep need for Christ, and that it is on not our works, but on your faith or on your grace through faith that we, that, we, that we have salvation and we receive salvation, Father. 
And help us to understand and, and even take joy and gladness in this striving, working walk that we are walking towards you, knowing that it is a for sure thing, knowing that we have security in you, that the work you started, you will finish. It gets hard, it gets rough, it gets challenging, and you will finish it by your power that you've given us through Jesus on the cross. You will finish the work. Help us to strive and help us to do it together. Help us to love one another. Help us to see each other's interests as more important than our own. Father, help us to see that and to live that way. May we do that. May we do that together. By looking to Christ, knowing his return, Lord. And come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.